Hello. Hi, John. Hey, 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 Mr. Guy. Hey, there he is. BMOC counselor. Hey, happy anniversary. Uh, Captain Marm uh, wrote me this morning and said that that nine years ago, Hmm. on a night just like tonight, Hmm? you and I recorded our, uh, I was a guest on Back to Work, the the pilot ep of our whole show nine years ago. Is, Is that right? I thought we started is wow. Wow. Happy anniversary. I didn't get you anything. What is the ninth anniversary? Oh, oh, ninth anniversary is tacos. Oh, (laughs) Hmm. ninth anniversary traditional gifts. According to the nest. Yes. Let's see. Uh, A a ceramic bowl. Can make you a ceramic bowl. You are a ceramicist. (laughs) Dinnerware. (laughs) Artisan pottery. Sure, oh. I love that stuff. Yeah, I went well, through a phase know, it's, earlier it's, this year where I was buying art, art, artisanal pottery. Really? What for? For what purpose? If I could ask. Well, it's it's depressing to talk about now because I was like, I'm moving into a new house and I <sighs> want new plates and I want it to be artisanal. Yeah, and you know there are a lot of people in the Northwest that are throwing pots and making uneven plates that don't stack and bowls that can't nest. And I was like, I'm in, I'm there for it all. Yeah, I think I think the Japanese call it wabi sabi. Mm-hmm. The idea is you wanna you wanna it's the it's the errors that, that make it fun. We went around with this recently in my household because my lady friend has been desiring new bowls. Oh yeah, and I'm I think more practical in this regard. Want, I'm a karma suck about the bowls. You want the old bowls? Well, I said that I want the old bowls. You know, only the good old bowls. The good old, not all the old bowls. <laughs> the good old bowls. I uh, I like consistency, and if there's any thread that runs through all of my issues <laughs> with organization, it, it's I want to be able to just grab. I don't want to think. I don't want to unstack. I think everything should be ready. This might be my version. Of, uh, of wanting a girl with combat boots or maybe keeping a small bag packed. Mm-hmm. I should never have to move anything to get to anything. As E.T. would say, ready. ready. Oh, ready. that's sweet. But, you know, it depends. It depends. If it is the go-to, like the pans. I want the pans to, to be deployable. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Kiss the, the pan. Kiss, <laughs> they kiss the pan, the pan kisses you. Only English people can fly. I still think about Mr. Show quite a lot. I yes. thought about Mr. Show just a few minutes ago. Yes. You just thought about Mr. Show just a few seconds ago. I, you know, because I, <laughs> I don't have any self-control for these things. When, uh, when the vice president announced that a, a familiar friend of mine might be stopping by today, I instantly thought of Hal Tankerbell, the video appearing on mm-hmm. stage of Hal Tankerbell, and then he goes and he talks, talks to the guy who has limber legs. And just had this uh, this giant face appearing on stage. I, I, you can't unsee it. You know, <laughs> they were so far ahead of their time. They were. Yeah. I uh, let me let me ask you. Yeah, ask me anything. Um, why don't you? Did you ever? And slash, why don't you? Um, do the thing where you just have all your clothes like be Steve Jobs clothes, where it's just a closet full of the same clothes. I'm pretty close to that. 
I'm really? very, very, I buy the, all, all the same underwear. I buy all the same socks. Um, the only thing that really changes, I wear the same pants every day. The only thing that really changes is my chosen undershirt tee. And then mm-hmm. I usually wear a, uh, like a long sleeve shirt over that, like a Mack Weldon shirt. So I'm pretty close in that regard, I think. So now when you go, uh, what, you know, we, we've been sponsored, uh, for a long time by the wonderful, uh, Mack Weldon company. Well, is that the, I forgot we talked about it just yesterday. A couple of days ago. And wow. so, so, um, when you get, uh, when you'd get an order from Mack Weldon, because they have a delightful, uh, different palette or delightfully wide palette of colored underwear and socks. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so when I have ordered from them, I always get a different color of underpants and a different pattern of socks so that now my underwear drawer looks like a, uh, looks like a bag of Skittles. Mm. Like everything, they're all bright yellow and red and orange. And it really, you know, really I, pops. Just really pops like the like the dark ones, the gray ones, and the black ones and stuff. I'm sort of like, well, I mean, you know, i've I've lived in a I've lived in a mono color underwear world, hmm. and I never want to go back. I want to just live. I want my underwear to be the uh, the all the colors of of the maracas of Brazil. You know, like oh I want my them. God, to that's just so much like, more fun than what I'm doing. Well, pow! Now, are you buying underwear that are the same color every time? Yeah. Yeah. Every time it's just, which color? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many aspects of my life where I really do thrive on a certain kind of existential or even just visual chaos, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, it's like the pan. I mean, I want to be able to stick my hand in the drawer and pull out a fork without Mm -hmm. having to think about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see, I, I feel like I've heard people say that this is what the gap accomplished for a lot of people at one point, which was... If you were just like some kind of trad dad, you could just march in there and get six pairs of these khakis and six of these polo shirts and stuff like that. And right. yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, there are other, like I said, there's other parts of my life that are much more interesting, but I like yours. Yours is, yours is, is, uh, is fun. You're a fun guy. You wear fun shoes. You got, you got fun outfits. You'll wear a bow tie. You're a fun guy. Yeah. Fun. Super fun. I mean, I, I mean, feel you're painting, like- you're painting with such a palette. You have so many options and sometimes you, you wake up and you, and you wait for the announcement. What is the uniform of the day? I feel like if I were truly like, if I were a chaotic evil person, mm-hmm. my underwear drawer would have boxers and briefs mm. and, uh, like, uh, G strings and, uh, Tidy whities. Oh, and, so you'll, you know, you'll, you'll rock a whale tail. Yeah. Right. But that, that, but that feels like that's, that's chaos at a different level. That's, that's like, that's an underwear drawer <clears throat> where basically it's full of found underwear, right? Hmm. Like, like for a while I had, what would you say? Three, four different kinds of underwear, hmm. like traditional boxers that kind of, you know, that are like the flap in the mm-hmm. wind. Yeah. And then. Yeah boxer briefs and then briefs. And then I had a few pairs of German underwear, which we've, we've discussed. Yes. Your German underwear. Yes. And then as time went on, you know, the German underwear all got stolen by girlfriends Oof. and the, you know, and the boxers just sort of don't fit under skinny jeans and that's little by little. Was, like, that's oh, what I was going to say. I think you, at least historically have a reason 
to require or desire different kinds of underpants. Because let's think of it this way. Let's say you're going to wear like an airy seersucker suit uh, topped off with a straw boater. Now, that Mm -hmm. feels like a boxer situation to me. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. The the appropriate underwear there would be would be some boxers, some all cotton boxer shorts. But remember your phase where you wore tight pants? Tight pants, you can't wear boxer tight shorts. Tight pants, you're not going to pair with the boxer. You're going to want something a little more slim, maybe yep. some spanks, but something, but something that'll, something that'll. Uh, I mean, you, you, these are different pairings. But as our late great friend Leslie Harpold used to say, what does she used to say? I don't like buying toys for my toys. And and sometimes that's what it is. Smart. If you get Smart. if you get a certain, you might need a different brassiere, whatever it is. You know if you're going to pair this with that. Now now bras or oh, that's a whole nother thing because are the, are the straps going to show? Do you want the straps to show? Is it for effect? You know what I'm saying? Is it like a poem or is it for comfort? Are you going to run in it? Are you going to sit around in it? Yeah. Well, let me ask a follow up. In these amidst these difficult times. I think I know the answer or can guess the answer to this. Do you still listen for the announcement about the uniform of the day? And are there occasions where the uniform of the day is something that's not strictly utilitarian, sit around the house and teach math clothes? Are you still a fun, a fun dresser amidst these difficult times? It's a, it's a good question. And you know, the, um, the, the the problem was at the at the top of the the top of the hour at the top of the the quarantine mm-hmm. i um was already working with a reduced pallet because all my stuff is in storage and i'm working out of a bag <sighs> of right course. Ugh. and so over the fall like i i really just sort of moved in here with with like two duffel bags full of of everything that was my whole life was just a couple of suitcases. And in the fall, I was prepping for the two things that I normally do in the winter that involve different clothes. Cause I, I we go to sketch fest, but sketch fest is just whatever fun clothes that you're, that you're wearing normal stuff. You don't, you know, sketch. I'm not Paul F. Tompkins. I don't go to sketch fest in a three piece suit. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that guy probably has to bring up a steamer trunk. He does. He does. He's got a different hat for every hour. But, Mm -hmm. but what I do is I go to Sketchfest. I do a few things like that, but nothing that looked like it was going to require any, any crazy bunch of clothes. And then Joko cruise and we spend a couple of weeks in Hawaii every year at Mm -hmm. at this, uh, in the early year. So I knew when I was packing in September, to move in over here that I probably was going to need some stuff for both of those things. And so I packed a bunch of Hawaiian shirts because I decided several years ago that old Hawaiian shirts were what I were going to, that's what I was going to wear in on the Joko cruise. And that's what I was going to wear when I'm in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that makes a ton of sense. That's, that's actually yeah. oddly efficient. Efficient, right? But fun, but fun. But then I got I got back. It's fun, efficient, but fun. And so mm. I pulled all that off. That was great. And then got back here to Seattle in March, and we went into quarantine. And in March and April in Seattle, you just wear a sweater and a rain jacket. And I had a sweater, and I had a rain jacket. And then when it started to get warm, because it's been a very nice spring and summer here, <clears throat> threw on those Hawaiian shirts again. And I'm like, I got I got no worries. I'm wearing Hawaiian shirts like nine months out of the year. And then. Of course, the boogaloos. I wasn't going to say anything. I think Hawaiian shirt is code for boogaloo now. 
So boogaloos come along. Now boogaloos are wearing, for the most part, Hawaiian shirts that they got at Walmart, right? <laughs> they're not vintage Hawaiian shirts. They're not the. They're not. It's not any better print. than the 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 the, the uh, you will not replace us guys. You know, with the, the the tiki torches from Home Depot, I mean, lazy, yeah. lazy stuff. Right, or all the incels in the in the fedoras, like they're not wearing the right, they're not the right hat. Walmart you know, those fedora. fedoras, they're not good. They don't no. look good. They're not. You they're know. not editorial, John. But all of a sudden, I got self conscious about going out into the town in a Hawaiian shirt because it's not, it's never about the connoisseurs that you see across a crowded dance floor and they go, Oh, oh mm-hmm. nice. And I go, thank you. And then mm-hmm. we pat, we never want to speak to each other again because we've seen each other. But you don't want to unintentionally rep white nationalist hanky code. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash there are so many things that you can do with Squarespace. Mainly, you're going to be creating a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into your new home on the web. You can showcase your work. You can have a blog or publish other kinds of content. You can have galleries. You can sell products and services of all kind. You can promote your physical or online business. You can even announce an upcoming event or a special project. It's so easy to do. You just you drag, you drop, you get in, you get out. That's the beauty of Squarespace. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, the ability to customize the look and feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks, a couple little drags, and Bob's your uncle. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. And they have a new way to buy domains where you can choose from over 200 domain name extensions, They have analytics that help you grow in real time and built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting with nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And of course, they do have their 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website that you make with Squarespace. Huge fan of Squarespace here. As you know, you're using Squarespace right now because that is and has always been the sole location where we have hosted this, the Roderick on the Line podcast They've been good to me. They've been good to my pals. Uh, they've been good to podcasting, let's be honest. But mainly, they're really good because you go and you make a website, and it's fun and easy. And let's be honest, that has not always been the case. So please, go uh, check out squarespace.com slash supertrain. You're going to get a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our very special offer code, supertrain, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, squarespace.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. Like, I don't want to just be walking down the street, not not only rep it in the sense that somebody like like gives me an okay symbol, but, but rep it just in the sense that somebody on a bus driving by looks out the window, sees a guy in a Hawaiian shirt, has been what looking at Twitter too much. Oh, now you're normalizing it unintentionally. Well, yeah, well or or just creating an environment where people are like, oh. You know, it's a bummer, man. There's white nationalists in Burien or whatever. And it was just me walking around in a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? There are a lot of people mm-hmm. that, that uh, because they're, they're, they're very online. I mean, I, wearing Hawaiian shirts around my neighborhood, I realize I'm in the suburbs. There's not a, there's not a living soul out here that has any awareness that, of, that Boogaloo even exists. Except for like, there's probably a few dads that are like in their garage tinkering. But, you know, like this is just... 
this is just a place where people are mowing their lawns. There's no, nobody is, there's no subtext to anything in the suburbs, right? It's just <laughs> all text. Yes. And so, you know, I would not wear a Hawaiian shirt to Capitol Hill and walk around in a fedora with a tiki torch and be like, these are just my normal things. I don't know what you're all upset about. <laughs> but it made me feel every time I put one on, like even in the house, even if I wasn't, you know, going to go very far, I was like, oh man, mm. yeah. but it's, I swear to you, Merlin, it's 85% of my shirts that I Ugh. have not in storage. What are you going to do? You know, so I mean, that's, I that's what you got. I put them on, I wear them around the house and I wear them over to my ravine and I put on my, you know, my gloves and my boots and I go down in the ravine and I chop wood and in the ravine, nobody can see me. That's one of the things. Nobody can see me from any direction. And so I could wear Hawaiian, I could wear a tiki torch down there and nobody would know, you know, be irrelevant. The only problem is sometimes I have to go to the store and then I'm like, oh no, I'm in a, I'm in a Hawaiian shirt. Oh man. But then, you know, if you go to the hardware store, that's probably one of the places that you're going to most likely to get an okay sign. Mm, uh So I don't know. It's complicated. I don't have enough clothes to not have to fall back on Hawaiian shirts. And it feels, um, wasteful and, um, Wasteful and dumb to go out and acquire a new wardrobe so that people who spend too much time on Facebook won't think you're a gun-toting yeah. nut yeti. Everybody that's a boogaloo that's wearing a Hawaiian shirt is also wearing a flak jacket and Oakley sunglasses. Ugh. I'm unlikely to be mistaken for someone, but you never know. But you go out to the parking lot of that Home Depot or similar, there's going to be 60 men in their cars recording videos with the opens <laughs> on the back of their head for some reason. <laughs> Hi, I'm a human thumb. Women hurt but, me. For me, of course, I've been collecting these shirts now for a long time, over a decade. And I think you, I think I told you the story about how, um, when millennium girlfriend left in the middle of the night and took my Filson bag, the other <sighs> thing that she did was I had a closet full of clothes at her house. That she had somewhat insisted upon, like, why don't you have any clothes at my house? You need to, like, here's a drawer for you, and here's a closet for you, and you need to put your stuff at my house. And I was like, okay, sure. And so I moved a bunch of clothes down there, including some of my best Hawaiian shirts, because she's living in Venice, California. I figured uh, this, is where, this is where I'm going to need them. Pre, pre, pre-boogaloo. But then when she, when she, you know, when she left in the middle of the night, she got back down to California and took all of my clothes to the Goodwill in the first day. She Ain't that ironical. She got home and she was like, these are going to the Goodwill and that'll show him. Ugh. And so, yeah, ironic, right? For, well, I mean, like that, for, from, from uh, ashes to ashes, uh, dust to Goodwill. Like, they, they, right. the, thence they came, you know? To every season, turn, turn, turn. Ugh. Uh, and so they went back, but they went to a different Goodwill. You know, they're, th- those shirts, if they could, if those shirts could speak, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. How did they, how did I find them in the first place? And where mm-hmm. are they now? There's some, yeah. Someone is walk. some guy is walking around, uh, looking like Nick Nolte in down and out in Beverly Hills, <laughs> walking around Venice beach in a bathrobe in one of my old shirts thinking like. <laughs> Brandishing one of your swords. <laughs> hey, uh, I got it made. <laughs> I hate skateboards. But, but you know, one of the things I did in recovering from the 
the trauma of that relationship was I said, I'm going to put, I'm going to build up that Hawaiian shirt catalog again. I'm not going to let this keep me down. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let the fact that I just lost 15 of my favorite shirts. You're reclaiming the locus of control. I heard about this recently. It's the idea that you can empower yourself. You, you can have external locus of control or internal locus of control. External locus of control, which I have, is the feeling that things happen to you in the world. Internal says, I don't think so. I'm going to rewrite my story. And that you're, you're rewriting that, except with the, instead of a pen, you're doing it with men's shirts. Yeah, and I was concerned somewhat that I was doing shopping therapy or that it was some kind of retail. Uh, like, I don't want to just buy things to make myself feel better. You don't get long-term gains from that. But I did feel like I just lost this thing that I'd been, you know, because collecting Hawaiian shirts is a is a fool's errand, first of all. There are... Every thrift store you go into, there's 50 Hawaiian shirts, but 49 of them are garbage, and and the and the 50th one doesn't fit. Mm. So it became another thing. It's just yeah, we've talked about thrift stores so much. It's just thrift stores used to be. I haven't been in one in six months, but they used to be just a place I went to. Like it was just kind of a, a place of meditation. I, I totally. And if you're gonna do retail therapy. You know, why not have it be a flea market or a goodwill where your dollar goes a little further? But even in the heyday, my heyday anyway, of the vintage, which would be 84 to 90, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I was forever going to the store. And, you know, the thing is you go to a thrift store or a goodwill, Salvation Army, whatever it is, you go to one of those where I used to live and it's a lot of the results of donations from somebody who died. And also a lot of those men, I think, were very small. So I've yeah, always, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty little guy. I'm pretty close to the, like, I think the, the mean for America, mm -hmm. like I'm five, nine and change, but, uh, even I, I'm a, I used to be a classic medium. Now I like a large cause it's a little roomier. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but also it was that even me being a slight fella. So then let's say back then I was five, nine and maybe 140, 145, uh, I had trouble finding stuff that fit. So you're, the thing is what I'm trying to underscore here is your journey, the, the, the life that you've lived, it has been one of struggle and, and one of, uh, of American stick-to-itiveness where you had a program, you stuck with it. And now, and so last time you went to a thrift store, give me, give me some observations on what, what the Delta is. Well, <clears throat> you know. Does it still have that one smell? Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've never been able to tell exactly whether that smell is just like um, insecticide or what, but it's it's. Um, I think still it's there. a combination Sickly of like sweet. all kinds of artifacts of time and existence. It, mm -hmm. It's basically like a German philosophy book. There's a lot of Zeit und uh, Heit und, und uh, Blut. Blu Bludendung's Roman and Weltanschauung. And I think it's probably, it's a little bit of B.O., probably a little sure. bit of death, some mildew. Uh, old Spice. Uh, yeah, uh, Bay Rum, yeah. racism. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. And then the yellow pit CK1. stains. CK1. Yeah. Oh, it's unisex, they say. <laughs> That's not unisex. What, I think the big difference between when you and I were... Uh, uh, initially shopping in thrift stores in the eighties and now <clears throat> is that in the eighties, all the stuff in thrift stores was from the fifties and sixties and local. 
and before it became local. professionalized. It was That's old, right. like there was a line of JC Penney's, I forget what it's called now. I've mentioned it before, but there was a line, I used to call them Paul Westerberg shirts, of these like great, a lot of like old Glen plaid shirts, you know, like blue, blue and green, but subtle grandpa shirts that you could pick up. Short sleeve shirts, $2. Long sleeve shirts, $3. Now put these in the bag and leave. And it was, but then it be, as you know, it became professionalized also. So now you're getting stuff that's sourced. You know, it's the opposite of farm to table, you know? Right. Now that could be, that could be a death from the East Coast that you're living in. It's being trucked around. Although trucked around. in Seattle, I think most of the, most of the stuff that you're buying here is from here. I think that's probably true in San Francisco. I mean, it's professional, but also the thrift store corporations are regional entities mm. like Goodwill in Minneapolis is so disconnected from Goodwill in Seattle. It's not That's like fascinating. Schlepp. I had had no idea. So they might have a whole different uh, approach to what they're trying to accomplish. Yes. What got, what does get shipped is all the stuff that doesn't sell gets shipped overseas. And that's why you see. Oh, that's why you see African kids in Dukakis shirts. That's right. Mm -hmm. Not not just not just like that stuff, like Super Bowl fifteen, but <laughs> but um, I mean, even when I was in Romania, <laughs> Daddy, what is corn? <laughs> <laughs> even even when I was in Romania, I remember walking through a village, and a little old lady was coming the other way in a rugby shirt that said like University of San Diego. And I was like, whoa. And then I realized like everybody in the village was wearing American cast off stuff. And someone had come recently mm -hmm. and had a like, Hey everyone, you know, free clothes or we brought you clothes and everybody went and, and took some clothes from this pile. And, it, and you know, you could see like, Oh, these were, these are, this isn't just the recent Super Bowl stuff. These are clothes from the 80s and 90s that Okay, so, so but it could be stuff where, like you remember we went that, that one crazy night. I think you needed pants for something. Mm -hmm. And we oh, had that yeah. the, the hectic night where we went to the Goodwill and West Portal. And it yeah. was super upscale and everything was like $14, $20, $30. Do you remember that? And uh, okay. But then, so so the stuff that can't, maybe won't even be made into a bath mat, that ends up on a barge going somewhere. I think that's what happens. Yeah, it's the it's the cycle of life, right? It comes mm -hmm. from China and it and it goes it goes to Romania or to to um, Gabon or something. Mm -hmm. But the, but the big difference I think is that in the eighties, the stuff that we were buying, even even stuff from J C Penney in nineteen fifty nine, was made in America, out of fabric that was sturdy. These clothes could save your life. You're hanging by a thread. The, the, I mean, I'm telling you, like the, you might see some wear on an elbow, but you're not going to see a cuff tear off. You're, no. you're not going to see an errant collar that can't be repaired. It's back when they made clothes for people. Well, and you still see clothes from that era where <clears throat> I, I mean, I buy them all the time where you can tell the history of the garment by just looking at the repairs that have been done to it over the over the decades, mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, they put patches on this and then they wore the patches out and they sewed up the, and it's still, even after all of that, a garment that's not just kind of worth owning for its utility, but like now it's become worth owning because of its. It's a piece of history. It's wabi-sabi. Uh, the thing I think about uh, with regard to you describing Hawaiian shirts is how understandably, 
but weirdly, stuff from different times gets coded in different ways. So the Hawaiian shirt that was a fun dad thing 18 months ago, now the exact same shirt, now it could be coded with a boogaloo thing. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking about this just yesterday. I was thinking about this with my kid. You know, I love spreadsheets. One of my spreadsheets is uh, my daughter's Halloween costumes. So I always write down which, you know, who she was, you know, et cetera, et cetera. She's been, she's been a tomato. She's been a ladybug girl. Uh, she's been with uh, different Marvel characters. Uh, she was Taco from TV from uh, Adventure Time, and, or excuse me, uh, Adventure Zone. And, and then twice in 2014 and 2015, she was contiguously the Harry Potter, uh, character Hermione Granger, right? Yes. And, and 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 in, 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 back then we didn't have as many problems with the author of those books. So right. when my kid, God forbid, wants to run for Senate, if we still have a Senate, we should abolish the Senate right alongside the Electoral College, but that's a different hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Is she gonna get canceled because she was Hermione? Oh boy, I don't think so. No, I mean, and in fact, that, could that could that become blackface? No, I I mean pro- Without going too deep into it, I think that that whole process is a process we're going through. It isn't a place where we're ending up. I get it. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the process of going The pendulum back has swung very hard, without going into too much detail, a, a certain pendulum has swung very, very far to a side right now, but pendulums don't tend to stay on one side. That's right. And you cannot, you cannot conduct a culture for an extended period of time where everyone is on blast <clears throat> for all infractions. You I know, guess like, we'll find out. <laughs> you do well, Jerry Falwell <laughs> just likes to watch the pool boy donking his wife. Oh. Why do we have to kink shame him? Wow. <laughs> Did you wow. see? Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. The pool boy spoke today. The pool boy. The pool boy spoke. You know, uh, last night I was sitting around with my sister and she said, have you ever seen the map of the United States where each state has its um, most searched mm-hmm. or kink Pornhub word, yeah. and I was and I was like, no, it's and so we, it's pretty great. We, <laughs> we call it up, and we're learning all these new terms, like what is sounding. Ah, don't Google oh, that. Do oh not dear. Google that. It's so oh important dear. that you don't Google that. Sounding. I didn't know that that was a thing, and that doesn't sound fun at all. But they're no. like, oh no, it's amazing. Oh. But uh, hmm. but yeah, pool boy, uh, cuckolding is um, is like a major thing in the. In the east, it's always places, coast. but it's also like I don't have it in front of me right now, and I'm not going to Google it. But I feel like it's there is a lot of like the the kind of darker power exchange stuff, not the fun, you know, let's get fuzzy handcuffs stuff, but some of that darker stuff really seems to flare up in the most conservative states. It does. the The, the funniest thing we we saw was Utah's really into pooping grinding. It was Mon- Montana was okay. Uh, here I go. I'm looking it up. Montana was something like BDS and M. Uh, Wyoming was submission and masochism. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they chose da- to live there. That's not my problem. South Dakota was cuckolding, and North Dakota was <laughs> uh, like gagging or something. It was uh-huh. just like, oh, sure, you sure. guys, you you really you found each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you belong together. It's, it's a very regular, regular gift of the match. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I sold my ball gag to buy you this sounding oh, rod. Sweetheart. <laughs> I'll put it on my watch. Whoops. <laughs> Pornhub state searches. Oh, dear. I'm always a little skeptical of these things. Yeah, me too. You know, because it's stuff like, because I'm not sure how they, I don't know how sciencey this stuff is. 
you know, and sometimes it feels like what they don't mention sometimes is like excluding all other things. This is the, some of the most interesting ones are like these, this is the, the unique, most weird thing in this state. You know, like there was a a really good episode of, I want to say planet money, trying to figure out what is the average American or what is the most unaverage American and trying to use data and statistics to identify the most common overlaps and things. And if you take away all the overlaps, now you're back with uh, the narcissism of uh, modern ball gags. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. You're in numbers. Oh, this is full of infographics. Not your typical American. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Most search, this is uh, the 2019 results for the Pornhub. Most searched for in 2019. Wow, this is very MILF. international. It's always MILF, right? Isn't MILF the number There's one? There's a search? lot of MILF inflation. Let's yeah. let's be honest. Uh, Japanese, hentai, lesbian, MILF, Korean, Asian, stepmom, massage, anal, ebony, big ass teen, threesome. Oh, yeah. There's sure. those porn uh, stars. <laughs> Lenny Bruce and Lester Banks, birthday party cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> Roderick started the ball again. <laughs> Okay, countries by traffic. Oh, now where's the maps? Anyway, okay, I think we've made our point. Yes, I think yeah. so. Sounding, uh, okay. So I, but I, <clears throat> I don't now, uh, I don't know now what I want at all in terms of, am I, what am I, do I even want to code anything? Do mm-hmm. I want to, am, have I moved to the suburbs and am I now all text, no subtext? If I walk around with a hat on in this neighborhood, sometimes a hat is just a hat, Hmm. you know? And it's like, hmm, all right, a hat. If I wore a hat for most of my adult life, it would be like, what's with the hat like that? What, what, where are we supposed to go with this hat? A lot of places these days you wear a hat and you're a hat guy. You're a hat guy. You can't just be a person, right? Depends on your hat, right? Depends on your hat. And so out here, a Hawaiian shirt is just a Hawaiian shirt, but, but that's not what I had in mind. I did not move to the suburbs in order to, to just surrender. It was quite the opposite. I, I, I moved out here because I had a vision of how I was going to reconnect. That's right. You, you had made some very intentional decisions about, uh, you know, your mid-century modern, you know, Bob's right. mom living in a bookcase, you know, type lifestyle, right? That's exactly right. And I was not, I did not move out here because I was giving up. It was the, it was the opposite. I felt that I had become stuck in a rut, that I was, I I didn't really have a clear sense of what my plan was going Mm -hmm. forward. I've never been much of a plan for the future type of person. But, you know, one of the, one of the things when I got sober, one of the things that was clear to me in the last six months that I was uh, using was whenever I thought about it, I could not, I could not think of a path forward. You know, I got into a place where when I, when I looked at, at my options and thought of all the things that I had dreamt of doing in life, I could not picture myself getting to any of those places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, through, uh, being drunk and on drugs, yeah. right. I was yeah. not, I was no longer getting an education. I was but that, no that, that's longer. That's not a, that's not a, um, no shade of lemonade, but that's not a state in which one spends over much time thinking beyond, 
at the furthest, like, will I make rent this month? It's more like, especially if you get into the drugs, it's much more like, am I going to score or something like that? It does not incentivize long-term thinking in a variety of ways. It doesn't. And, and, you know, and it's either fortunate, I guess in this case, fortunate that my heart was always big enough to be hurt. Right. So I was Hmm, never, I never got drugged to the point where my heart didn't hurt. And so I was, I, I never just surrendered and said like, I'm a, I'm a loser. I'm doomed. I just want to get high. I was always like desperate to get high, but, but also, I don't know, like uh, had a, had a, a deeper desperation and I could see, I could see every, every door closing, you know, I was, I, and it wasn't just like options. It was personally, I could feel doors shutting inside myself. I was Mm -hmm. becoming, you know, unreliably angry. I had sold my own values out several times and it looked like I was going to keep doing that. I was, you know, I was just kind of becoming, uh, for lack of a better term, like a whore. I was just, Mm -hmm. I was not. So it's it's um, internal and external. You've, you've, I mean, cause one of the themes, if I could say, it seems like one of your themes is like, you don't want to feel like you're disappointing people and you hate the fact that you feel like you're disappointing yourself. But there are times in life, I was joking about this, joking about this the other night, like what a horrible state, uh, no pun intended, California is in right now. I think about when I first came here in 1997, it was like the idea of me moving here in 1997, you might as well have said that I'm going to colonize Mars it seemed so it seems so far fetched and i think there are times in your life especially when you're younger but also if you are uh if you're feeling incapable where you're like this why would i i'm i'm mad that i don't have the future i would want i feel like the world of options that are there for me are not that great and the ones that are there are not that positive and so like what are you going to do i guess you know you get a drink or whatever it sucks yeah, right. it sucks it sucks and and honestly when i quit uh, drinking and doing drugs and got up on a step, right? I took one step up. Um, I didn't have any plan beyond that. I wasn't like getting sober to go to college (laughs) or getting sober to whatever chase a dream. What was your, what was your big, one of your big, not to spoil the ending, but one of them was, it was, uh, owning a toothbrush and having something that required keys. Yeah. Key. (laughs) Like the the first key I got, I was like, I have a key. Someone can put my chip on it. (laughs) I can put a key in a door and someone will let me in. You know, all that's, and then watching the keys show up on the ring, like two keys, two people trust me. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and for several years after that, but what happened was I started playing music. I started having friends. I started doing theater and it wasn't because I had a plan. It was just that I had stopped doing one of the things that inhibit, one of the things that it was inhibiting me the most. Um, but when I, you know, when I sold my house, when I, when I left the farm and when I, when I chose to move down here to be closer to my daughter and to pursue this kind of whimsical, uh, change in style, it was all with a, with a kind of version, a middle-aged version of that, which is like, am I going to live in the same house for 25 years and gradually suffocate under the weight of all of my talismans and memories? Hmm. Or am I prepared to reinvent myself? And am I going to reinvent myself by moving to Berlin and getting into burlesque? Or am I going <laughs> to reinvent myself more locally 
because I have a kid and she's, she's got 10, 12 more years of school. And it was all like, this seems easy. This seems doable. I'm just going to come out here. I'm going to, I'm going to put a certain kind of vintage tile in this bathroom and I'm going to, uh, buy pottery and it's all going to be part of, um, you know, it's still going to be a happening. It's still going to be artful and, in, and, um, and encoded and, and, you know, purposeful. And I got here and walk around this neighborhood for a year and realized, oh no, right, 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 right. This, these are the suburbs. Like that's not what's happening behind closed doors out here. No, very mm-hmm. few people are, are back behind these, um, Seahawks flags and, you know, and thinking about local potters, that doesn't mean that there aren't people doing it here, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, the, I didn't move into that culture where it's, where it's nearby, right. Or, 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 uh, not nearby, but like, uh, where it predominates, but I mean, any any decision to well, this is really really general. But people have their reasons for moving to the suburbs, and they always have. Some of them are mm-hmm. more racist than others. But but one of them is that you are choosing by design a certain kind of operational isolation. Because I mean, I really think about like where I lived or where my family, other family members live in Florida. You have to think about how you get out of and back into your enclave. It involves getting in a car and going somewhere. So, I mean, like one of the trade-offs is apart from that 7-Eleven that's a mile and a half away, you're not going to be able to like walk somewhere to meet somebody for coffee, but that's built into the price of moving to the suburbs. And it's what I think appeals to a lot of people. It's just a question of choosing the suburbs that give you the kind of isolation that you want, not the kind that makes you sad. Right. I mean, what you get is you can have a fire pit and invite people over if, mm-hmm. if you want to have people over to your fire pit. What Love you don't a fire get, pit. Love it. You don't get a nearby cafe. And if you if you move to the Castro and are interested in local pottery, you may not have people all around you that are interested in local pottery, but you have people all around you that are interested in something right They're pottery adjacent have, yeah they're pottery adjacent you have jesse char over there who's decided she's going to make 700 kinds of dumplings <laughs> and she's going to do every one of them in a vintage uh, uh like a seersucker dress or whatever and you're like oh my neighbor <laughs> is fucking living her best life nobody just, in the suburbs is going to appreciate those eyebrows like people in san francisco no she has, she she has amazing eyebrows she did a whole thing where she was like oh my 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 mixer is broken i'm mm. going to I'm going to repair my mixer. And I was like, this is the Instagram content I'm here for. (laughs) My own neighbors out here in the suburbs presumably are not doing that. They're thinking they they wake up in the morning and they're like, should I use my leaf blower today? I should. I think I will. (laughs) The answer's always yes. I think I'll fire that baby up (laughs) and see if I can move some leaves around. So, so, but that, you know, that was a trade I was making partly based on the idea that I was going to get on my shoes. You know, I, I was already living in a world where I was schlepping my kid. The kid changes everything, right? You can, you can repair your blender all day and then you have a kid and it's like, Oh boy, that there's, blender. There's, a, there's a lot of overhead 
to having a kid, including, so there's a lot of the built-in overhead of everybody knows or should know that when you have a kid, it's, it's pretty difficult at first for everybody. But like all along the way, there's the overhead of the schlepping, but there's also the overhead of the risk management. If, if, if you take my meaning where you are, you are turning down a lot of stuff not because you have to do another thing, but because you might have to do another thing. And, and being in the suburbs makes that a, a little less stressful. And, and, and honestly, like I got priced out of, of Seattle. Like if I had had a daughter in 1997, I could have bought a, uh, if I had a daughter in 97, but I had my current career, Yeah. if I'd had any career in 1997, <laughs> you could have bought a house in Seattle for, for $300,000. And a house in, in, on Capitol Hill in my neighborhood. Yeah. And, and then I would, I would still be living there probably live there forever. But, but along the way, a a modest house on Capitol Hill became a a million dollar affair and then more. Yeah. And I couldn't live there anymore. So it was like, my wife occasionally tortures me the way she tortures herself by doing that thing that we all do. Well, I don't, but almost everybody else does, which you go, she'll like hold up a picture and go, this house right here, four bedrooms, three baths. How much does it cost? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. She's like, well, it's in Montana, but it is, it is $16,000 or whatever. Yeah. You're like, oh. oh, I thought the, the, the worst game, I think the, by far the worst game is to hold up a picture of a, of your neighbor's house or your house and say, guess what this place sold for in living memory. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what stuff cost to buy? Well, obviously to rent also, but to buy in San Francisco in the 70s is pretty, pretty wild. We were watching Rent last night, the 2005 movie. And of course, it's one of those classic like, oh, come on. These people, they ain't going to pay rent. But boy, do they ever have a very, very, very large place on which they're not going to pay rent. And boy, that that theater that Maureen has, wow. The the DNC convention was in a smaller room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's that's the thing that I don't think we realized. I certainly, I don't think anybody in the 1990s understood that one of the main resources we had, one of the things that made us the richest culturally was there was so much abandoned space. So many- that was that was very much true here. When I very first moved here, that was when things were dying because of the dot com boom on which I was writing. But like there was a, a I forget the name of the place, but there was a place in sort of like on the southeast side of town by the highway. There was this giant, giant, giant warehouse that had been converted into uh, practice spaces for bands. Yeah. Dozens and dozens and dozens of bands. And I forget exactly what happened, but I do remember that it was a dot commie. Well, you know, we're going to turn this into a place for people that are, you know, going to le- deliver pet food by pneumatic tube. So <laughs> right. get your PV Not and bands. roll. <laughs> well, just, just think about the survival research laboratories. Like they had a huge compound. Oh, right. When they shoot the, shoot the, the light bulbs around and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> a huge compound in the center of San Francisco that was, that was built around making robots out of vacuum cleaners that had <laughs> flamethrowers on them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where where did that and that was until the 2000s those guys were still in you there could not, you could not do that in Oakland now i mean you would you would have to move to like practically to nevada to do that i lived in a warehouse my practice space was one block away and it belonged to us we paid 300 dollars a month and we had a, our own building to practice and every person i knew had either a practice space 
or a theater space or some other space that was addition in addition to their apartment a, a community uh, a community arts something yeah and it was all just like it, it didn't feel like a luxury because they were those buildings were cold and dirty and and had no features and the bathrooms were full of rats but it was that was why it was cheap and you didn't think that cheap shitty stuff was ever going to be hard to find and now you look around Seattle and it's like, oh, my kingdom for just a cheap, shitty place to experiment. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all gone. So I had, I had to move um, if I was going to – basically having a kid meant that I was either going to live the rest of my life as kind of like a middle-aged dad with green hair who skateboarded down to his daughter's school mm-hmm. or I was going to have to get out of town a little bit. And – I'm now recognizing she's almost 10 and I'm seeing very clearly like, whoa, I lived in, I lived at the farm for 12 years, 12 years from now, my daughter will be in college. Oh God. And so that 12 years is pretty compressed in my recent memory. You know, it was basically my forties. Um, but my fifties will be spent here presumably <laughs> with your two bags <laughs> with my two. Well, yeah, right here in this house waiting for my other house to get done. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to go to college. And then what kind of, I don't have four kids, right? I just have one. As, as far as you know, yeah. as far as I know. Right. I've never gotten that email that was like, guess what? I never wanted you to meet your daughter because I hated your band. But <laughs> now that she's 16, she needs a car and, I have a, you know, I have a friend that that happened to, hmm. uh, you know, like now that she's old enough to know, I want her to meet her father. And mm-hmm. unfortunately for you, it's you. And my friend was thrilled, right? Just like, had, had he known about it before? No, had no idea. So she, she so she, they, there was a relationship that happened much earlier. She got pregnant and then she was like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want this guy around. I, I want to raise this kid by myself. Yeah. I don't think that happened to me. I think that everybody, I mean, all of the women in my Your mom is very organized. I doubt that happened. My mom was very organized, but also they're all, all the women in my life are still actively mad at me. So they would know. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I would have heard about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the project. That's the project. How, how do you feel about the project at this point? I mean, it does, at least from, from a remove, uh, your 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 project for your fifties does feel very dependent upon what happens next with several things, but especially COVID. It does, <clears throat> and the the challenge I think is always: Are you continuing to challenge yourself? And I've never not I've never not felt if I if I things get too easy, I start to get very uncomfortable. Hmm. I've, I've never sought ease or, um, comfort or you're not, you're not big on autopilot in the way that say I am. I love autopilot. Yeah, no. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, autopilot is unfamiliar to me, Mm -hmm. but also 
I'm I'm just I'm motivated by disease, not disease, but just no, dis dashies. Yeah, disease. Uh and and that has motivated me to do all the everything that you could describe as, you know, the wonderful things that I've that I've been lucky enough to do. It's always like ah, I've got to get out of this chair because if I don't I don't know what. The chair will engulf me or mm-hmm. You know something, and and it's that, disease, but it does, is it also a sense of some kind of um, motion? I guess it's all kind of wound up in each other, but motion, change, and the idea that there's something that's forcing you to unpot yourself a little. Unpotting, right? That, but but there are people like my mom changes her house uh, every spring and fall, right? New a new rug. I mean, she, it's not like she goes and buys all new stuff, but mm-hmm. she has. Her summer house, her winter house, she changes the color of her uh, accent pillows. You know, she's always in motion in that in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I, if you walked into my house in uh, 2008 and you walked into it in 2018, you would find the same couches and paintings on the walls. There, there would just there's just more stuff, but mm-hmm. not. I'm not. I'm not changing just for the sake of change. If I put a painting on the wall and it belongs there, it's like, ta-da, there mm-hmm. it is forever. It's the, it's the thing of feeling um, motivated by, by ne- like needing to cut trail somehow, mm-hmm. ne- needing to leave something behind. No, mm-hmm. no, not that. I honestly don't know. It, I mean, is, is there is is this? I'm certain, almost certainly way oversimplifying this, but I wonder if part of it is uh, and because this is, I think, a very common normal thing for people is okay. Let's put it. Let's put it in my terms. Oh boy, things are going really well right now. I bet something terrible is about to happen. Yeah. Um, maybe to put differently for you, is it is it that you your nature is to be suspicious of the comfort that disguises something unaddressed that could be motivating you or pulling you down or whatever it is. Like, it seems like you, you really want a certain amount of, as you say, friction, something that's going to like mix it up and force you to live this life that whatever this life is, something that's going to, does that make any sense? Something that would like force you back into the mix at a time when you might want to disappear into the chair. Yes. And it's, it comes out, I think, when I consider, when I consider wealth and what wealth affords one, what opportunities, and when I think about being very wealthy, when I when I was young, and you think about being very wealthy, you think, oh, I can do whatever I want. When you get to be middle aged, and you think about being very wealthy, you consider it at at a at a remove. Mm-hmm. You realize getting to do whatever you want isn't really that big of a deal. And the more money you have, hmm. I think the more you have to confront the fact that getting to do whatever you want is not interesting or fulfilling or even good. And you, and I think what you see and a lot of the evil in the world is from very wealthy people who are bored and don't have imagination mm-hmm. and are just like, 
They fill their house up with worthless shit. They go on vacations they don't enjoy. They, you know, to own a $50 million yacht is to be in a way like completely devoid of anything that would make you an interesting person. What is the, what do you need that for? You don't at all. Yeah. In any way. You yeah, could, there's that feeling like, like when I find myself getting impatient because something that I ordered didn't get delivered and it's something I don't really super need. But uh-huh. I was so amped for that thing to arrive and then I'm very disappointed and I continue to pretend as though a given Amazon delivery is going to make me happy for more than a few minutes. Because now really it's just more kipple, a lot of it. Yeah, right. It's just it's just extra toilet paper because, you know, it's not like you're low on toilet paper. You're just low on reserves of toilet paper. Well, and I'm low on uh, feeling like I deserve a treat. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And and I and I think I think for me like I I'm I mean I, I think after you make $50,000 a year, they say that you're past the line where any more money is going to make you happier. And it's because Getting to do whatever you whatever you want is pretty easy. Most people don't want to stand atop all the peaks of the world. And if you do want to stand atop all the peaks of the world, you don't need millions of dollars to do it. Hmm. And and honestly, most most of what you can do is pretty achievable to most people. Money is money is imaginary for the most part. And so for me, it's like, what do I want? What did I ever want? If you, if you strip away the, all the, the fantasies of youth where you're like, I want to own a Scottish castle. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I want to walk down the aisle with my, my beautiful bride, uh, Christy Brinkley. and Christy Brinkley, right. And drive off in a Ferrari. If all of that stuff where you're just sort of imagining like one day, everything will happen to me. And you get you get to be middle aged. You strip it down to like, well, not everything's gonna. Ha- I'm probably not gonna live in a Scottish castle. Turns out I don't care. I didn't <laughs> ever want to. It didn't turn out great for Nicolas Cage, right? So what do I what do I want? Mm. And it all ends up being either experiential, although not in the sense of like I want to. Um, I want to see a baseball game in every stadium in the United States. Although seems like a fun thing to do one summer, but yeah, I mean, I think but, I think there would be a lot of um, cool stuff that would come along. It's not just about baseball. If you did that, that's, that's what it, that's what it would be. Yeah. That would be it would be a really fun summer because you would you'd meet a lot of interesting uh, the people. friends you met along the way, if I could say. But like that type of uh, experiential, but more like it's all back to the same question I have been asking myself my whole life, which is like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. What could I, what can I possibly do to justify the food that I eat? <laughs> and so you keep pumping, uh, you know, keep, uh, pumping coal into the engine room without regard to the ultimate destination to which you hope it takes you. Yeah. And yeah, right now, you know, right now I'm, uh, because I'm lucky enough to have a garden to work in. I have that short term, that short term, long term of feeling like I'm planting this and in two years and in 10 years, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to grow, it's going to be here after I'm gone. But that's a, but that's a pretty short term 
there are people I think that spend 40 years tending a garden and that's their gift to the world. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, it's much more like I'm going to create this environment and I'm doing it as a thing to keep my hands busy and my imagination busy. But I don't think like leaving a garden behind is going to be sufficient to justify all the hamburgers. Yeah. No, I, there's also the thing of um, the internal, external sort of ideas, like the way you've had to realign your life. Uh, I mean, short of just bouncing and going to another country, even though your kid lives here, you do have to realign some of your ideas because of the the responsibilities or, or needs or however you want to put it. But it's it's also a question of, in some ways, that, and I have not by any imagination made this leap, but, you know, people who do get old and are not terribly unhappy seem to have found a way to make their life about other people, whether that's interacting with other people or whether that's helping other people. But in some ways, it's like you you eventually realize sometimes that it was about figuring out what you could do for and with other people that made you happy, that that's that's the boat. The boat ride is, you know, this is where we're all, you know, trying to go. But, you know, that this is not the best time to try and exercise that. I mean, sure, you can, you can donate money, you can work at a, a food bank or do whatever, but like you're not going to probably develop a vaccine in the suburbs. No, um, no. And, but like, what, you know, what do you do? I mean, I, but I don't know, that's just, just an observation. And uh, some people are better at that than others. And some people like doing it for the parade. But that's something I do think about a lot is like, are there more things that I could do for people who aren't me? Well, and that's why I think married people live longer. And marriages are so important because there's there's a built-in um, reciprocity. There's a built-in sense of like what you're building every day is mm-hmm. the is this marriage, this house, and this relationship, and the work that you do for one another. You know, it it's um, it feels very much like every day that you stay married is a, is another brick in the wall. <laughs> well, that sounds uh, happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's all a little bit like, you know, R2D2 getting that little uh, restraining bolt, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let him to take off. <laughs> it's just like the, the more your leash grows into your fur, the more that it's, <laughs> The, the more your collar is just like part of your skin. Yeah, the, the, more... the paler the, the uh, skin underneath your wedding ring. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>